several months ago, I had the chance to meet up with Brother Dave here in town and have breakfast like good Baptists like to do and fellowship and just talk about their 18 or 19 years of ministry in the country of Brazil. And he shared with me how the Lord was working in their hearts and had been working in their hearts to uh, come back to the States. And so um, we certainly wanted to make sure that we got him here to have you hear his heart and his burden. We have supported him for many years. Here recently we did, because of how our missions policies work, we see support, but we really are praying to take him back on for um, at least a short-term stint as he plants this church in the Atlanta metro area. And so please be in prayer about that. Um, our missions team is going to be having a lunch with him and his family later, just really getting reacquainted with him. You know how it is with uh, all the missionaries that we support. Sometimes we forget who, who all we support. You know, we have the prayer cards, and, and several of you are so faithful, and you've prayed for them for years. Um, but uh, anyway, we're really looking forward to just hearing a fresh and anew this new season of ministry that God is launching them in by faith. And so go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I believe that's where he's going to be. If the Spirit has changed directions for him, in the meantime, that's fine. He'll tell you where to go. But Brother David, thank you so much for coming to minister the Word to us today. And uh, we're looking forward to what God has for us. Thank you. All right. Good morning. Blessing to be here this morning and to have my wife. Uh, best friends, but also a huge part of the ministry that God has given us. And uh, you are a huge part. As we sit here this morning, as we sang even, I thought about uh, one of the songs that says, Once enemies, now seated at your table. And I thought through that. And now in Brazil, there are many families and individuals and teenagers and children who are seated at Christ's table today, who are meeting even now in three church plants that you are a part of. In Sao Paulo, two in Sao Paulo, one in the city of Itupeva. Uh, once enemies, but now they're seated at the table with Christ and worshiping and praising his name and learning. And you're a part of that. So although we sometimes you pray for us, pray for, you know, we're praying for the Huffmans, the church planners, we're a small part of a huge team. And so you're a part of that team. And so that's part of the reason for us coming back today is to thank you. Uh, but also to celebrate with you how God has used your church, how God has used you individually through your prayers, through your giving, through your partnership of what God has done uh, in Brazil and also what God will do uh, in the future. And uh, the uh, small groups after this, we want to share more about that, about what God has before us. But once enemies, now seated at your table. And then what was just sung, Hannah and her brother, uh, Jesus, that silences our fears. All of us, the most courageous, the, 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 the men of all men, uh, all of us have fears. We may not, some may be able to hide them better than others, but we all have fears. And we're going to talk about some of those even this morning through this passage, but thank God that Jesus can silence the fears. So it's a blessing to be here this morning. Mary Kate and Michael are with us. And then our three older girls, Jessica's in Peru on a two-month internship with some missionary friends there. Uh, and then the two middle girls uh, had a wedding of one of their friends yesterday. So they're actually in Macon at our home church uh, for the wedding yesterday and then the services today. But we're glad to be here uh, with you this morning. Have any of the schools started here in this area? Wednesday. Okay, our two youngest went to school Thursday, this past Thursday, August 1st. So, I mean, they just had to, had to start. Summer went by so, so quickly. Uh, we just moved to the Atlanta area about six weeks ago, 
So we're trying to get our kids enrolled in schools. Of our five children, four are in new schools uh, or will be in the next few weeks. And so there's been a lot of rush and going to, you know, getting the physical and getting this form filled out and taking it to this school. And, but two of our kids started, Mary-Kate and Michael, in fact, started at Clark Creek Elementary uh, about 15 minutes from our house in Ackworth, which is northwest of Atlanta. We're renting a house there and uh, looking forward to what God will do. But as they went to school, some of the teachers prior sent home uh, at the orientation that we went to a couple days before that, sent home some questions that they were supposed to answer, their favorite color and uh, favorite food and, and things like this. And as teachers get to know their students, one of the questions that often is asked is, what do you want to be when you grow up? Especially to young children. What do you want to be when you grow up? And there's all kinds of answers that kids give, right? Now, Michael, our six-year-old, from time to time, he's, he's not asked me real recently, but uh, there are days where from time to time he would say, Hey, Dad, what do you want to be when you grow up? I'm like, well, well, son, I'm, I'm doing it. You know, this is it. And then another time, um, and this hasn't been too long ago, he just he kind of got this uh, look on his face. He says, Dad, why haven't you gotten a job yet? <laughs> wow. Well, thank you, son. I, I appreciate your, your vote of confidence, recognizing the job that God has given me. But uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I don't know how you maybe answered that when you were younger, or maybe you're still thinking about that. Uh, even mid-career, you're thinking, yeah, what do I want to be when I grow up? I don't want to do this the rest of my life. What do you want to be when you grow up? I cannot answer that question for you. But in this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we'll see three things that God wants every Christian to be. What every Christian should be, there's at least three things that we know for sure in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Let's look in verse 14, starting in verse 14 of 2 Corinthians 2. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor or the fragrance of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor or fragrance of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God in the sight of God speak we in Christ. I would imagine that every person in here this morning had some contact or were in the presence of a fragrance. Maybe a scented soap, maybe a, a shampoo, maybe perfume, maybe cologne. Um, the fragrance industry is huge. In 2013, it was as best estimates that they could come up with, a study that was done, about $30 billion was what represented the fragrance industry worldwide. They estimated at that time that by 2018, I don't know if this came to pass or not, but the estimate was that $45 billion would represent the fragrance industry. In 2016, the Bloomberg report said that $800 million was spent in advertising perfumes and colognes. You've received them in the mail, right? The little scratch things, or you open it up and you can smell it. Or maybe you get the little, uh, the little uh, cologne things at the, at the restaurant. This thing, I'm sorry, keeps getting caught on my collar. Um, 
need to wear more perfume or cologne maybe. But so you've received the stuff. And there's a lot of money spent on that. And in this passage, we see that we are to be the fragrance of the gospel. So first of all, we're to be fragrance spreaders. That's real deep, isn't it? We are to be fragrance spreaders. Wherever we go, we should share the fragrance of the gospel. Now, the neat thing to me is that God will give us the opportunities. God will give us the opportunities. Look back in verse 14 within 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Now, thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the fragrance or the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. God gives us that opportunity. We don't now, obviously as churches, there will be money that will be spent on advertisement and promotion and things like that. But God will give us so many opportunities in addition to that. We don't have to spend $800 million in a year to to try to promote the gospel. God's going to give us those opportunities. Ago, we came to, we went to Greenville, South Carolina. We came back from Brazil uh, to take Jessica to college, went to Greenville, and uh, we were trying to get her enrolled. And we, it, coming from Brazil, we had to get her driver's license, open a checking account, do a lot of different things that we weren't able to do in Brazil. And it was an exciting time, but it was pretty, pretty busy. So the weekend that we took her to school, we went to one of our supporting churches in town, but we arrived late. That's not a good missionary, but we arrived late, pretty big church, pretty full that evening. I thought, oh, great. Where are we going to sit? We're coming in as a family. Where are we going to sit in this church? And lo and behold, I see up in the balcony an open section of the balcony. I thought, they have reserved this just for us. I mean, this is really neat. So we walked into the the back where there's a couple couple rows open. We sat down, and then I saw a sign in front of me. It says, fragrance free area. I'm like, wow, I I wore cologne today, so maybe I shouldn't be here, but fragrance-free area. Now, maybe those for, you know, people that have allergies and and things, that church decided they were going to have a fragrance-free zone in their church, and so we we sat in the fragrance-free zone of the church that night. But let me ask you, should any area in our life be fragrance-free when it comes to the gospel? No. In fact, we see here in, in verse 14 again, the last part, it says, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in how many places? Every place. So wherever we go, and, it's, and it's variety, there's so much variety of the fragrance industry, how many places will you go that I won't go? That Pastor Brian won't go, that Pastor Don won't go, that your Sunday school teacher won't be in, that your parents won't be in. But in every place, we should be carrying the fragrance of the gospel. It's interesting, things happen, you know, when we're in Brazil and and things would develop. uh, And we would come back like, oh, wow, that's really a big thing here now. And one of those things for us that we noticed was the essential oils. We had some friends, you laugh, okay, we had some friends that began to give us some essential oils, and we found some to be, to be helpful, um, but it, it's, it's interesting, they're huge. I mean, they're, there's little carry pouches, there's roll-on bottles, there's uh, scented, you know, fra- essential oil soaps, I think you can get about everything in essential oils, there's all kinds of things, there's diffusers, and we've used some in, the, in our kids' rooms sometimes, and, uh, but I, I went one recently, and we were in uh, this office, and the secretary had her diffuser going, you know, with an essential oil. Maybe it was, uh, maybe, I don't know, if it was a peace oil or what it was to help her at work, but she had this diffuser, and I thought, you know, 
we should be diffusers of the gospel, of the fragrance of the gospel. That wherever we're at, as people view us, as people uh, interact with us, as people get to know us, that we would be a fragrance spreader in every place. No matter what you do for a living, no matter if you're in full-time ministry, if you're in lay ministry, and all of us should be in lay ministry, whatever God has called you to, that is the highest calling for your life, and you're to spread the fragrance of the gospel where he has planted you in every place. He'll give us the opportunities. No area of our life should be without the fragrance of the gospel. We also see in verses 15 and 16 that it is a life and death situation. Look at verse 15 and 16. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved or, or among them that are saved and in them or among them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death. So pause for a minute. For those who are not interested in accepting Jesus Christ as their personal savior, we are not a sweet fragrance. Not everybody will welcome that smell. And that's not always enjoyable. We like to have friends. We enjoy when people welcome us and smile and, and get, like to get to know us. It's difficult sometimes when the neighbors who know that you're a Christian maybe turn their head. Maybe as they drive by, they don't look your way. They don't return the waves. They don't give you an opportunity oftentimes to, to get close, it seems. Kim and I were just talking about some friends some neighbors that became friends, and they came to a few things at our home that, that were gospel-centered, but they never visited our church the whole time we were in Brazil, and it, and it just, we're, we still burden for Raul and Facelia, some neighbors right across the street, but it's difficult when, when our fragrance to those who, at least at that point, are not interested in the gospel, it's a fragrance of death to them. It's condemnation to them. But then on the other hand, we see that it's a fragrance of life. To the one, verse 16, we're the savor of death unto death, and to the other, the savor of life unto life. And then the question that Paul asks, and who is sufficient for these things? Who is sufficient for these things? And perhaps, I'm not Paul, but perhaps he asks this question because there's so much weight on the message of the gospel. It is a life or death situation. It is an eternal life or death situation. So Paul says, who's sufficient for this? It's no wonder that sometimes as we meet with people, we can become fearful. When do I talk about the gospel? How do I share the gospel? How will they react to me? And there are things that we face in life that we have great fear. I remember on one occasion in high school, I, I had a lot of fear. It wasn't necessarily a spiritual fear. It was physical fear. I played football for a small Christian school in Macon, Georgia. And as a ninth grader, my coach said, hey, why don't you dress out with the varsity team? Uh, we've been invited to this big private school uh, to play their homecoming game. And I've agreed, and we're going to go, and I'd like you to dress out with the varsity team. And I'm like, yeah, 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 coach. Yeah, I'll be right there. And you can see I've always been a big guy, you know, built. And uh, don't laugh. So I dressed down. I'm thinking, yeah, I'm... I'm going with the varsity team. I'm dressing out with the varsity team. And, and during the game, uh, we're getting slaughtered. 
It's a homecoming game, right? They paid us to come play them so they could slaughter us. That's just how it goes. And the coach thought, yeah, this is free money for the AD department. So we'll go play. Yeah, don't worry about the boys. They'll be fine. Tape them up. Put them out there. Come on. So he, pump return time comes. We're getting killed. And he says, David. I'm like, yeah, yeah coach. Pump return. I'm like, what? You want me to... Pre- I didn't tell him that, but I was thinking this whole time. And so I get back there. The ball is kicked. And I saw the whole team coming at me. And they were huge. Have you ever seen the movie Facing the Giants? Well, I faced my Giants that day, and they killed me. I mean, I just died. And I thought, you know, this, is not, this isn't right. They just, I just slattered on the, on, the, on the ground. I get up, and Coach, he was actually worried. He says, David, are you okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm fine. Where am I? <laughs> yeah, I'm fine. Sometimes you may feel like that when you have an opportunity to share the gospel. You may feel like the enemy is coming at you full force, and you are going to get killed. But the cool thing is, is that God has promised that he will give us the victory. We see this again in verse 14. Now, thanks be to God, which always causeth us to triumph. It may not be the victory that, that you think it should look like. It may not go as well as you practice in an evangelism seminar or something. But if you're sharing your story and you're sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's victory. Every time. Every time you share. Every time you plant a seed. Every time you water that. God is giving you and causing the victory to happen. Be a fragrance spreader for Jesus Christ. Now beyond that, we see that we are to be recommendation givers. Look at verse, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. We are to be recommendation givers. Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or need we as some others epistles of commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you? Ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men, for as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistles of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirits of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. We are to be recommendation givers. Your life is some type of recommendation giver to those that watch you and know you. About six months ago, we were in my brother-in-law or my brother's house, and my sister-in-law prepared a dessert. It was called baked ice cream. Kind of interesting. It's like, oh, baked ice cream? Those two don't seem to go together. But she served this dessert. It was very good. We said, Rania, where did you find this recipe? Oh, Pinterest. It had some really good reviews. And we often look at reviews. And Jessica, who's sitting at the table, our oldest, loves to cook and loves to bake. She says, oh, yeah, I look at the Pinterest and I look at the reviews. In fact, they have photos. And I'll look at the photos of how stuff is, has come out. And if a cake has flopped... In the photo, I won't even try it. You know, and I thought, how many people are looking at us? And how many people are saying, you know, that person's life, that person's marriage, that person's work relationship, that person's integrity has flopped. So I don't even want to try this Christ thing. I don't even want to try this Christian thing. I'm not real interested in what they do, and they go to this church, and they listen to guys speak, and they, they even give their money. They do these, these crazy things. I'm not interested in that because I'm seeing stuff that has flopped. But if we are recommendation givers, 
if we are showing others that, yes, it does work. Christ is worthy. We can live in the victory of Christ. Then our life will be a huge recommendation giver to everyone around us. First of all, I think we need to look about, think about our attitudes. We can give the recommendation by our attitudes. Turn with me, leave some in here in 2 Corinthians, but turn with me to John chapter 14 and verse 35. John 14, 35. It's not John 14, 35, is it? The verse is this, by your love, they'll know that you're my disciples. Basically, that's David Huffman's version. By your love, they'll know that you are my disciples. Do people know that you are the disciples of Christ through your attitudes? How you love other people? How you love your spouse? How you love your children? How you love the family of God that's sitting here with you this morning? By your attitudes. But also by your actions. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And these go hand in hand. You, can't, you cannot have an attitude of love without the actions. Because a true attitude of love will definitely show and manifest itself through actions. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Okay, we need to walk in them. This is present tense. It's continual. Walk in these good works. Do the things that show our love for other people. Also in Ephesians, jump to chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. And then he backs it up. Okay, how do you walk worthy? He's going to share some attitudes and some actions here. Verse 2, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. Notice verse 23 of Ephesians 4. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying. 25. He basically says, speak truth. And then the, the rest of that chapter and then into chapter 5, he, he just goes on to put away this and put on this. Put off this and do this. Verse 29, for example, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearers, that your speech will be the fragrance of grace, that as you talk, that as you encourage, that as you choose not to criticize, not to be the one who's always the Debbie Downer of the group, but as you encourage others with Christ as your motive, through our actions, we can be a huge recommendation giver. Chapter 5 and verse 21 Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. So as we think about by your actions, we've already looked about you know looked on how you can talk or how you should talk, how you treat others. Verse twenty one: Submitting yourself one to another in the fear of God. 
Verse 25, husbands, love your wives. How? Even as who did? As Christ loved the church. Pastor Brian, from what I understand, preached on marriage last Sunday. How beautiful the picture of the relationship of one man and one woman for life can represent the mystery of God and the church. And if we get that right, is it always easy? No. Is it always just fun? And No, there's difficult things. Life happens and you have to work through those things and you pray and you look to God for strength. But that can be an awesome and beautiful picture of the picture of Christ and the church through our actions. Husbands, loving your wives as Christ loved the church. Verse 33 of chapter 5, he ends the passage and he says this, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. That reverence your husband. To show your love for him in that way. Chapter 6 and verse 1, it talks about children obey your parents and respecting them and honoring your parents. The verses to follow then talks about servants. Verse 5, servants be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as in the Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. With good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Even at work, you may feel, yeah, Dave, I do feel like a slave at work. But Paul's saying, hey, do it as unto God. Do it for Christ. And as we do that through our attitudes, as we show love, through our actions, as we do that, people will begin to see that we are giving a recommendation for Jesus Christ. State Farm's motto, like a good neighbor, what? State Farm is there. Are you a good neighbor? Could people around your neighborhood say, yeah, uh, like a good Christian, so-and-so is there? It's interesting, even some simple things that help us to be good neighbors. Cut your grass. (laughs) Trim your shrubs. Keep your house up. We've only been in our neighborhood for six weeks. We're renting the house. But it's been interesting to me. I enjoy cutting grass. I just like being outside. I like to, I like to do that, and I'm, I'm not a professional at it, but I enjoy doing that. And it's been interesting how many conversations from neighbors that have walked by or even stopped as they've been driving by and say, hey, yard's looking great. Appreciate your work. Yesterday, yesterday I was able to talk to Grace, the neighbor behind us, said, boy, you, it looks like you enjoy working out in the yard like I do. We got to talk a little bit. Are you a good neighbor? Do you try to look out for the neighbors around you? Do you try to make connections? Or maybe two, three, four, five, ten years or longer may go by and your neighbors may think, yeah, I I see them leave somewhere on Sunday. And they go and they come back, kind of dressed up a little bit. But I don't know them. I don't know what they do. They don't know me. I don't think they know what I do or what I care about or what I need or like a good Christian, are you there? Are you a good neighbor? Are you connecting? Are you giving a recommendation of Jesus Christ? And lastly, in verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 3, going back to 2 Corinthians 3, 3 we see in verse 18, we are to be glory reflectors. Glory reflectors. We should spread the fragrance of the gospel 
in every place. God will give us the triumph. He'll give us the victory. He's our sufficiency. We, we even learn that. We see that in chapter 3. We're to give recommendation through our lives, through our attitudes, through our actions. And then we are to reflect the glory of God. We're to be glory reflectors. The last part of May, the first part of June, for about two weeks, I had the opportunity to take Christina, our second oldest daughter, and Audrey, our middle daughter, to India. One of our family goals is to take each of our kids when they finish high school on a mission trip somewhere besides Brazil. I mean, they've grown up in Brazil, so that's kind of home to them. They know Portuguese, nothing really weird about that. So some of them have voiced in the past, Dad, we'd like to go on a missions trip. I'm like, you're a missionary kid. What are you talking about? No, I want to go on a missions trip where we don't understand the language, language and it's a different culture and we can see what God's doing. I'm like, that's a great idea. So we're able to do that. We went to India and visited some friends there and had the, the awesome experience. I never thought in my life that I'd visit the Taj Mahal. I just, I didn't think I would have that opportunity. But we were able to go to the Taj Mahal, and our guide who was with us stopped us at a certain point and, said, and looked at Audrey and said, Audrey, okay, you know, come here. She said, okay. She, he said, put your sunglasses on. So, okay, put your sunglasses on. Taj Mahal is in front of us. He says, okay, just kind of stand there like this. And she's like, okay, stand there like this. He said, okay, move your head a little bit. So she moved her head. He says, okay, I'm going to get a picture. He backs up, and he takes a picture. He's so proud of himself. This is our guy. He takes a picture, and he goes and says, look at the picture, and then look at your sunglasses. And she looked, and it was really cool. The Taj Mahal was reflected in her sunglasses very clearly at the, at the place and way that he took the picture. And I thought, you know, how many people, when they look at us, Instead of seeing the Taj Mahal in our sunglasses, how many people will see Christ? How many people will see God through us, and through our family, through our hands, through meals that we prepare, through a car ride that we give, through a home that we maybe provide for someone for a time of need? How many people will see the glory of God represented and reflected through us. Verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 3 says this, but we all with open face beholding us as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirits of the Lord. We should be glory reflectors. Look with me, we see how the disciples did this in Acts 4:13, 4, 4, Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. Acts 4.13 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. That's, that's a neat passage. They, they took notice of them and they looked and they're like, hey, these are, these are unlearned and but we tell they've been with Jesus. Go ahead a little bit in Acts, also in chapter 7, in verse 54. Acts 7, verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. This is where we find Stephen. He's preached a very bold message. But he, being full 
of the Holy Ghost. This wasn't a weird thing. He was just, he was being led completely by the Spirit. Being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfast into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And said, verse 56, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man is standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord, cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord Lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. The disciples, Stephen, they were glory reflectors. There were things that happened in their lives that would have been very easy for them to have turned and said, God, this is what I get? I've just preached a bold message, and this is how my life ends? Being stoned, being killed, where are the people around me? Where my, where's my help? And maybe you and I, as we face difficulties, sometimes we may not voice it, but it's easy to think, God, th this is it? This is the reward? This is how a life of dedication and, and faithfulness, you reward this? But may we be like the disciples and like Stephen and so many others through Scripture, as people look upon our life, they see Christ and the glory of God reflected in us. Mike Hankey was a children's pastor of our home church, Mikado Baptist Church, for a number of years. When we returned back to our home church and to our, our kind of base city of Macon, Georgia, a little over a year ago, after being at church for just a few days, Pastor Mike asked me, hey, you're going to be around for Vacation Bible School. I'd love for your family to plug in and, and help out and volunteer and but then just a few days later, he was rushed to the emergency room, coded for a significant amount of time, went into a coma for a long time, not sure if he would make even live, and still to this day has very limited ability to communicate. He can wink a yes or a no by the number of times he winks, has a little bit of movement, but is still in full-time rehabilitation care. Now is in McDonough, Georgia. For a time, they were trying to keep someone in the room 24 hours, and so several men of the church and volunteered to spend the night in his, in his hospital room. This is when he was still in the intensive care. And I spent a few nights with Mike, and I was just challenged to think about the brevity of life and how quickly things can change. As I would look upon Pastor Mike and just be reminded of his energy and of his love for the children of our church and for ministry and Christ in general, I couldn't help but think about Rachel, his wife, and Jackson and Olivia, and how they're going to deal with this. How do, you, how do you go through something like that? But it's been a Tremendous blessing to see Rachel. Although she's not perfect and she would tell you that, she has been a glory reflector of Jesus Christ. 
as she has dealt with this situation and stood by Mike's side and prayed and maintained a positive attitude and continued to serve and even reach out to bless other people, sometimes even encouraging our family. And I, and I step back and I think, in my mind, Rachel, how? How can you do that? It's because through the power of Jesus Christ that he causes us to triumph as we trust in him day by day by day. I have no doubt that Rachel has a lot of unknowns that she thinks about. How long will Mike be like this? Will this be the rest of his life? Will this be the rest of our life? But day by day, she has chosen to put her trust in Jesus Christ. And as nurses have watched her, and as doctors have watched her, as our church family has watched her and come alongside of her as best as possible to help, she's been a fragrance spreader. She's given a phenomenal recommendation that Jesus Christ is sufficient, that he's worthy, that he's still good, that he still loves us, and her life is reflecting the glory of Jesus Christ. You may not know what you're going to be when you grow up, but every Christian should be a fragrant spreader, should be a recommendation giver, and should be a glory reflector. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning?